we are back. We are back. Welcome, everyone, to Matchpoint number nine of Tennis Bets Podcast. I'm one of three hosts here, David E.J. Berger. You can find our show handle at MP9Tennis on Twitter and all the socials these days. If this is your first time listening, chances are it's how you found us. Welcome. Hello. If you're a returning listener, a returning champion, as I like to say, welcome back. Hopefully some from our, our last episode as our Roland Garris preview episode was uh, our biggest episode ever. So thank you to everyone who checked us out and is back for more. With me, as always, my number one tennis talking bro who has a little bit more cash in that bankroll thanks to his South Beach series parlay coming in. Congratulations, Derek. Yeah, if you guys have been following the pod, I uh, parlayed the Panthers and the Heat uh, to get their series wins. And the Heat finally dragged this thing out to the seventh <laughs> game, and I finally won. All thanks to Jason Tatum destroying his ankle in the first quarter. I don't think they would have won if it was for that. But yeah, let's thank God all around for that one. And uh, yeah, it really made me just not care about uh, J.J. Wolf just blowing that entire last three sets. But um, yeah, let's get into some French Open now that we got this heat thing out of the way. Avoided the reverse sweep in basketball, but you got a nice yeah, one from J.J. Yeah. Wolf uh, on the <laughs> on the tennis court. We're based in California, and let's toss it to our man in Canada, Mr. John Reed. You can find him at Jared Tweets Tennis. He does betting content for his own brand, Tidbits Tennis. He writes for the Action Network. Betting expert, Hammer HQ. He does tennis form recaps, and I think he's recapping the match that's currently going right now. Uh, Monfils is up 4-3 on Baez. That's a, a match we talked about last time that uh, we had a bet come in on. So, John, welcome in. Woohoo! Yeah, I'm ready for, uh, ready to talk some round two. Had a decent first round. High volume. Always sweaty. But it's nice. You know, Canadian tennis got a couple wins finally. I think Layla's in the second round. We got BB in the second round for a set and breakdown. We got Dennis almost choking away that match to Brandon Nakashima. He's into the second round. Uh, and Felix, of course, had a bum hamstring, gastrointestinal issues, and, and couldn't beat Fabio. But I'll take three or four, considering how bad all, all four of them have been late, like in for a while. Eloquently put with the gastrointestinal issues compared to uh, some people on the timeline. <laughs> Just hanging, it leaks out to dry. Anyway, this is a tennis betting podcast, so we like to be transparent about what we talked about last time. We talked about a lot, so let's get into it in a segment we call What Did We Win? What Did We Learn? The Wins. Lorenzo Sinego covered the four. And the four and a half, actually, versus Ben Shelton. Sweaty. Real sweaty, but he got there. Uh, Rusevori and Barrer talked about them trading sets, and they did so into a fifth set. The over 36 and a half cash, over three and a half sets cash. Did lose on the set one over. And, of course, the next two sets following that tie break in a 7-5 set. So that's always fun uh, to experience that. Aslan Karatsev was a qualifier we talked about as a guy to back. He cashes on the money line at minus 155. Versus Poprin. Arthur Fees to win a set at minus 125 versus Fokina. Does it. Benoit Pair got a lot of love on this podcast. He was only plus 100 to win a set. Cashed that. Nearly cashed as a plus 500 dog. I would go as far to say that was a, a, a classic Benoit choke to bring home that plus 500 ticket. But he is Benoit Pair, so what do you expect? Uh, Guillaume Fees to win a set at minus 110. He's done that. Thank you. Rindernich, Moneyline. Talked about him as a slight dog versus Gasquet, who's having trouble on the dirt this season. He's looking forward to grass season, and he's into grass season. Bounced out of Roland Garros. Zapata and Schwartzman did lose on the, the money line with Zapata, but we pivoted in the discussion of that match to the over 36, which does come in. Echeverry money line versus Draper, likely voided as Draper gives the retirement we said was in play. Talked up Fonini as a dog 
which comes in, but also mentioned the set's over. So the favorite in FAA couldn't muster a, a set because of said gastrointestinal issues. <laughs> Tough day for FAA out there. Did have some losses. Uh, Djokovic had the breaks to cover versus uh, Kovacevic as a 10.5 game favorite, but was broken twice himself in the third set for that to fall eight. JJ Wolf won the first two sets and then lost the last three. Uh, the reverse sweep was our money line ticket on that one. Struff had a chance to cover the three games with the fifth set win, but falls short versus Laheshka, the trap rule. If you follow this podcast, that uh, never fails, apparently. Isner money line. I wish I had talked up the games, which was on the show sheet, but I only mentioned the money line, so I got to take the L. But at plus 180, he was on serve at 9-9. Double faults to offer up match point. Pretty, pretty brutal. Worth the chase, though, on the money line there. The L.A. Alter parlay goes down because Zoe and Feast both lose outright. Talked to Ramos' money line. Another worthy chase goes to a fifth set with Warinka as a plus 200 dog, uh, but that fails. And then Lajovic, minus three, was either a push or a loss since he retired. So a lot of good, some bad. We move on, and let's keep it rolling, guys. John, any for you, any takeaways round one here that you've seen so far? Oh, yeah. Daniil Medvedev is not a contender to win the French Open. Yes. Yeah, you're damn right. I will victory lap the shit out of that. Boom. Get out. The next two weeks became the most enjoyable two weeks you will watch. We will not have to watch the most boring style in tennis. Soon as Hercotch loses to Greekspor, which we'll get to, I'm sure. What Those two guys being out is good for tennis, at least for my enjoyment of tennis. Maybe not because Daniil is a big name and a character, but got a victory lap that. That was my takeaway. Daniil Medvedev, not a contender at the French Open. <laughs> He's always a good interview contender, though. You got to give him that. No, he was a contender, but he no longer is. And I'm so happy about that. Any other takeaways? Nico Hari is, is right for the right for the picking after he dominated uh, Hugo Dayen, by the way. Was a little shakier on serve without the altitude. He's won 10 of his last 11 in altitude. Title in Santiago, title in Geneva. Out first round, I believe, in Madrid. But... I really think he's becoming, and the guys on Game Bet Match, by the way, talked talked about this as well a few weeks back, I believe, that he's become almost an altitude specialist. I don't know if I'd go that far as to say he can't win at sea level, but they are absolutely 100% correct that his game, more than almost any other clay quarter, benefits most, him and Hoffman. So that's something I'd watch for as well. Well, spoiler alert for further down the show sheet, uh, we might be talking about that one. We might be talking about that one. And uh, yeah, you mentioned Medvedev. Uh, he actually mentioned the conditions here, which I think came into play. I mean, watching the match with Wild that he lost, it, the ball was moving slow. You know, we talked on the last podcast about conditions uh, being livelier at times here for players, uh, but that doesn't seem to be the case so far. He said before his match, I cannot say 100% if it's the balls, the surface, but from what I've heard from all the players, everybody agrees that it's, let's call it slower this year. And the balls get big. Laszlo Gera also called the balls a disaster. So a lot of controversy about the balls and people are unhappy with them. Also, Gera said Longlincorp is watered so much it feels like playing in mud. Machanov, who played there earlier, said it was like playing in the forest by the lake. So, I mean, they got this thing pretty tamped down here for the ball to, to not move uh, with any sort of speed, it seems like. So keep that in my moving forward we do have a match going on right now anyone have any so the outright market is not up but does anyone have any outright thoughts uh, uh runa i believe picked up an injury today so his part of the bracket uh, with rude who had a straightforward win against elias emer that part of the bracket uh, i i do agree is an upset away from 
offering up a lot of value for people. Yeah, I think the bottom half, I'm happy with my fourth quarter stuff. Again, I faded Medvedev in a couple capacities. I didn't I, I didn't have it at the uh, at the time we recorded because Karatsev was somewhere in like the 40 or 50 to 1 range, I think, to win his quarter. He got up to 66 to 1 uh, by the time everything kicked off. So I added that to my portfolio. And now it's like, just give me Sinner or, or Karatsev to just make a run here. I think that fourth quarter is so open uh, with Medvedev bowing out. And I'm glad that he was out first round because now it's like got to sweat him in the second and third rounds as he's building form. It's like, that's not a big, that's not a de- the deal. I'm not going to have to have my guys beat him head to head. And it brings in more possibilities to hedge, right? Because when, if Medvedev, when as Medvedev's still in the draw, once your guy goes up against him, it's going to be a super expensive hedge price. It's gonna, he's going to be a favorite. So him being out now is going to give the opportunity if Sinner can make a run or if Karatsev can get to that quarterfinal. They're going to have a hedgeable price here, and you're going to have a lot of uh, of equity and, and and potential profit to work with to do so. So, pretty happy about that. Outside of that, I don't I don't know what uh, what other outright stuff there would be. I I don't think Ruda was too hurt. Eubanks was just playing a, a pretty good match, to be honest. For on on clay, he really took over in that fourth set, though. So I'm actually going to look at Runa as someone who built form within that match, really timed up the serve well, and started to get balls into um, Eubanks's feet. At the, when he came, as he kept coming to net, right? So I actually like the way Runa adjusted, game planned, and then dominated the final set. I think he could go on a run here still. Nothing really stood out to me when I was watching the match as particularly kind of out of sorts. All right, guys. Well, it's round two. So let's talk some picks for round two. I'll kick it off. How about Fabio Fonini, money line minus 165 and minus one and a half sets, plus 100 versus Jason Kubler. I do think if this goes to five, Bonini will probably lose. Just don't trust him uh, at the five-hour mark at 36 years old. But, and I'm not going to read too much into Bonini's win against an ailing FAA and suddenly proclaim he's back to peak Fabio. But I will take away showing form, injury-free and motivated. After the match, he said, I'm still here. I'm 36. I don't know how many more Roland Garros I'll play. I think maybe I'm old. But I also have to say I'm lucky because I'm old and I'm playing with this young generation that plays unbelievable. I'd like to enjoy it until the end. So motivated here uh, to keep going. Love our guy, Kubler. McCubler! But against talented clay quarters this year, it's been a struggle for him. Lost in straight sets to Musetti, Lyovich, and Zapata Morales. Conditions are super slow here, as we talked about. Grass is around the corner, so we'll be back on the Kubler train. Not in this match as well. Yeah, I would agree that uh, that he looks pretty good here, Fabio. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. The the Diaz Acosta match too. Facundo was just so much better at generating offense, and he played with both power and kind of this heavy spin that Kubler was just trying to push back, and it looked like he was trying to survive. You know, like you can tell on a guy's face where he's just trying to cling on in points. That's what it looked like, and it's just it was a matter of Diaz Acosta not being able to keep the ball in the court for for prolonged periods in those second and third sets, and then running out of gas a little bit in the fifth. Uh, I I wasn't too convinced by Kubler. Like if, if Kubler had have looked, you know, had market improvement in his game, like we saw from Poppy from Popier in the season or from Alto Fields on the clay from pe- previous years, like he added something to his game that makes him more effective on the clay. That's one thing. But if I'm watching him play and he still looks like the second best player on the court and sneaks out a win, I'm, I'm certainly not going to be upgrading him. Uh, I'll be looking to continue fading him. And you got a natural clay quarter here. I do think the one and a half sets is the best outlook with Fanini or the best look because, like you said, I don't trust him in a fifth set um, against a guy that's not a clay quarter but is far more physically uh, kind of fit to go five. Yeah, not a young gun. Uh, I believe he's almost 30, if not 30 now. But 
certainly yeah, more physically fit than Fabio at this point. Hey, I, I'm sorry to break up the party, but I got to go because my plumber needs my help. I think uh, Felix Ojealiasim was using our toilet too much, but uh, <laughs> no, I really got to go. Our plumber's right. like kind of yelling at me. All right. But, uh, I hope you guys have some good picks. I'll check out the episode later. <laughs> All right, All right, later, man. <laughs> there goes our version of FAA to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's funny. All right. I'll keep it rolling here. Luca Van Ash and Davidovich Wokina are playing in the second round here. I like the over three and a half sets at juice minus 160. And Van Ash, I'll sprinkle the money line at plus 205. Van Ash dismantled his first round opponent, Chekinato. 6-1, 6-1, 6-3. Tweeted it was a great showcase for him. Uh, displayed a lot of his game with his baseline prowess. Uh, I said in our chat, this guy must drive people insane with his ability to return. And then who do I see as his next opponent? Davidovich Vokina, a player known for going haywire mentally in matches. Add to the fact there's even more time for that to happen in a best of five format. Plus the backing of the French crowd here for Van Ash. I like Van Ash to make life difficult for Vokina as he tries to end points but can't or coughs up a UE. An unforced error instead of a winner. I like Van Ash here, man. I think this is a really good spot for him to to make a splash here. I wanted. I thought I was. I thought we'd get a bigger number. To be honest, I think even open it was only plus two forty. I was really surprised that came out and was released at the under two fifty mark, um, which kind of sucks. But I do uh, think I'd agree that this is no. Yeah, it was about plus two forty at Pinnacle. I do agree that he has a great shot with these, especially these conditions that we alluded to with the how slow things are playing, how if, especially if he gets a show court, does he get, I, I, is this going to be on Longland? Probably not. I don't think he's a big enough French name yet to warrant being on Longland, but with David Vichokina's entertaining style, I, I could absolutely see this on Simone Mathieu, just like the last match for him was when he beat Fields. It's the same kind of concept, right? A young Frenchman. In fact, he's playing the 2021 junior boys final because I think Van Ash beat Fields in that, in that, Junior's final at, at Roland Garros. So interesting little tidbit there for Davidovich Fakina taking them both on in the first and second rounds. You know, we saw Fields kind of bring the power side of it. This is going to be the opposite side. I think Davidovich Fakina was able to withstand the power of Fields. He was able to punch back, counter punch, be aggressive in his own right, and still get plenty of errors. He's not going to get errors this time, and he's going to have to be purely aggressive, right? There's no counter punching against Van Ash. He's not giving you anything to work with. And that's t- typically when we do see Davidovich Rokina get into that much more 50-50 make-or-break mode and either hit a, a winner or an unforced error. And if you're, you're going to have that over the course of a five-set match, there's the potential that, or sorry, that like the percentages would tell you that it's, I wouldn't say it's just as likely that he hits as you know the unforced error as the winner. But if it's going to be kind of that, that 50-50 concept, you'd certainly rather have a plus 200 to plus 220 dog a ticket than than be riding with Davidovich Fokina. Yeah, and you know Fokina obviously you know uh, at a different class of, of player on tour, so obviously could could walk into this match and and blow Van Ash off the court. That's a given. But I I I mean from what I saw from Van Ash, this this kid looks pretty ready. He doesn't have the power, but I think he serves pretty well. Serves smartly. Is pretty tactical with the serve to to make up for that power. It really constructs points pretty well. So I mean, I I think this is going to be. He reminds me of a player you have to beat. Like you have to beat Van Ash. He's not going to like die for you. So we will see here with the the always erratic Fokina at a pretty nice price for the young Frenchman. All right, John Stan Wawrinka is minus one fifteen. Essentially a pick versus 
Tanasi Kakanakis. Uh, I personally do not think Wawrinka gutted out a five-set, almost five-hour match to turn around and lose to Kakanakis on a slow clay court. You can say Wawrinka was drained, and sure, maybe there's a slight physical edge to the Australian. Uh, the mental edge in the tennis skill is fully on the Wawrinka side. The crowd will be there too. I've witnessed it in person. Every crowd loves this guy. At minus 115, it's an easy pick for me. Yeah, and he's from the, the French side of Switzerland too, right? So the French do like him. He speaks their language, that kind of thing. Je- I think he's from, is he from Geneva or in that area? But either way, it's, it's very close to France. Uh, so he he would definitely have the crowd on his side. He's won the French Open before, I believe. Um, th- those things all play into consideration with the crowds as well. He, the physical, like the, the durability edge, maybe to Kokonakis. I don't think the, the, the natural movement on clay, the sliding in that, I don't think that favors him, which is also good. And the other thing too is the the, the slow clay. You want to have a little bit of weight to the shot, right? You want to have some tops and make it heavy and add that kind of offense to add that to your offense as opposed to just hitting pure power. And that's what Kokonakis does, flatter pure power. Again, doesn't play as well in these courts. So I certainly think Maverick has a lot more going for him here. This is also like the Nick Kyrgios tweeted about this. This is a match we've been waiting for for a long time. I don't know if... Uh, people remember, but I believe it was in Montreal. I think it was at the Canadian Open or the Rogers Cup, which is now the National Bank Open. Kyrgios was playing with Rink and he came to net and that's what it, it was in his bad boy days where he was just a dick. And he goes, you know, oh, Kokonakis, bang your girlfriend, mate, right at the net, right to Stan's face. Uh, and now this is the first time that we get a meeting ever at tour level anyway, between Stan Wawrinka and Tadasi Kokonakis. I wonder if there's any, any, I'm not saying put this in your handicap. Do you think there's any revenge factor there? Do you think Stan is like, oh, yeah, I remember what Nick said about this guy. I'm just going to beat the living shit out of him on court. Uh, well, <laughs> if there is, we've already seen uh, Warinka take out Runa in a quasi-revenge spot uh, this year. Uh, so uh, I, I don't think it's uh, uh, out of the question that that's uh, going to play into this this at all. Uh, I also just think that uh, Warinka, I mean, Warinka has to think he's got a pretty good pathway to get pretty deep in this thing. Because if he wins here, he's going to play Hachanov probably. And he could definitely beat Hachanov. And then he's got Rublev. I mean, this guy could be, he's not a bad look for a quarterfinal here. He's got some some guys he can beat if he uh, gets out this win versus the Australian. I, wonder, I just wonder if, if he'll have the stamina. But I do think in this particular match for this one, I, I do think the, the value is certainly on uh, the Vavrinka side over over the Kokonaka side, especially near a pick. I thought he would be a, an established favorite, maybe like a, again, a, a two and a half, three game favorite, which is not that big of a favorite in best of five tennis, right? Uh, but he's not even that. He's like a pick. Like You're not laying any games here to bet on him and, you're, and he's barely juiced. That's a pretty nice uh, concept. I, and like you said, another one where the minus one and a half sets might be a look as well for um, as you did for Fanini. Same thing here. P- coming off a five-setter in his 30s, if he's going to win, you'd think it'll be in three or four, right? It's a matter of how quickly can he get that that Kokonakis serve timed up because he's going to have the advantage from the baseline with the heavier shot, with the power as well to match Kokonakis. It's just a matter of can he, can he find his way into some return games. If he can do that, he should absolutely win this one. Yeah, Warinka 3-0 was plus 340, 3-1 plus 390. I mean, those are not bad. <laughs> like the stack with your your just money line play here. My, minus one and a half sets is plus one sixty. All right, John, do you have one? Yeah, um, I kind of want to talk real fast about Lorenzo Musetti and uh, Alex Shevchenko. That one's one of the later matches on. Has the potential to be a popcorn match. This is an interesting one because Shevchenko was awful in his first match. But just as you don't want to overreact to a great match that's going to be tough to replicate, you don't want to overreact to a really shitty one either. Where 
Shevchenko played re- yeah he played poorly against Ota far too many errors far too many points he should have been winning with ease far too many bailout shots uh from the baseline where he's in he's the better mover he's got more kind of clay court talent and comfort and yet he was going too big to try and end points against a guy who doesn't move well instead of just constructing the point but he could be sure his team has worked on worked on that with him for one thing and the second thing is he has the talent to stick with Muzetti. So to have him as a plus 300 dog is a little bit much for me. And then consider this from Tennis Insights, one of the next-gen data kind of uh, accounts out there, I suppose, on Twitter. Return quality during the clay court season on average. So this is this is nice because we're not overreacting to either one of their first rounds. The return quality was favors Muzetti 7.1 to 6.8. Forehand 7.9 to 7.7. Backhand favors Shevchenko, 7.5 to 6.9. The steal percentage, 38 to 37. You can. My point is, you can see where I'm going with this. Everything's really close in the metrics. Now, there could be quality of competition concerns there. That's fine. But the fact is, Shevchenko has consistently performed at a, at a very similar level. We've seen some good wins from him, whether it be in Miami on hard court or Phoenix Challenger on hard courts or you know in Madrid on clay. He has the weapons. And he has the ability to to pressure the Musetti backhand. And that's key because he can really hammer those ground strokes at Musetti and force him to really defensive shots and short balls. Something Steph did really well in their battle in Rome. So that's what I'd look for. I, I don't know how, I haven't pulled the trigger yet, but I'm going to be looking at plus sets, whether it's one and a half or plus two and a half, whether it's plus games, the over, and probably a little money line sprinkle as well. But I'll likely be attacking that match just because the data shows it's a little too close for me. Uh, the matchup is there with with his power against the backhand. And you just don't want to overreact to that really poor match he played in the first round because it's not likely he's going to be that bad again. The over three and a half is actually a little um, depreciated here at minus 130 compared to a lot of these matches. So I, I definitely think that could be it a look uh, as we've seen many of these matches so far go over three sets. And just in case to avoid your Fonini uh, FAA thing, have a little sprinkle on the money line too. If this kid wins at three, nothing, you don't want to have a great read go to waste. There's, and it's not, you're not just betting it for that reason. There is value on that money line. I don't think this is a three to one scenario, like matchup. I don't, I think that Shevchenko is a lot more competitive uh, than, than he's being given credit for. So you got the value to pull the trigger on the money line. And if you want to take that over three and a half sets, make sure you've got that insurance in your pocket. If, he, if somehow, I'm not saying he will, I don't think he will, but if he somehow wins three nothing, make sure you cut that insurance policy with you. All right, John, do you have anything else on your card? Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to talk about one here in a second that that I wrote up and I'm on the other side of you uh, for. So that that that's probably good. It's just the Schwartzman Borges match will be. All right, we're going to go to next. All right, Nuno Borges is taking on Diego Schwartzman in the second round here. It sounds like we got both sides, uh, so that's pretty good. Faded Nuno against John Isner because of Isner's service game. Now Nuno gets the complete opposite of a matchup. In the diminutive, poor-serving Schwartzman, now you're giving me plus money on a younger, better version of the same player. I'll take it. I mean, they do different things, but the idea is the same uh, <laughs> in terms of their style of play. But I'll take it. I, and I actually think the over is a good look, but they... They do have it kind of juiced, and I could see, I think it's like 37 and a half. I could see this being done and dusted in four sets and a lot of 6-1, 6-2 sets along the way. So I'll just stick, uh, at plus 123, I have to take Borges here uh, against Schwartzman, who did get out uh, a win 
okay, so make the case for Schwartzman, John. So as much as I see it differently with Nuno as a better, a younger, better version of Schwartzman. Um, I think I agree with you on they do a lot of this. They have to win in the same kind of ways. I think Diego constructs points a little bit better, though. Schwartzman more laid back, waiting for errors. Uh, sharp tactical mind, because he has to be to hold serve. But I just find Diego's point construction and angles are much better. His backhand is infinitely better, although it's been it's one of the reasons why he's taken such a dip this year. I'm not a huge points defense motivation guy because if you're just playing like dog shit, then it doesn't matter if you have points to defend. It's not like, oh no, I got to defend fourth round points now, which Schwartzman does. To stay in the top 100, I guess I'll start playing well again. I, that's not a switch they turn on and off. <laughs> like, you know, it's like I could be I could be crap the rest of the year as long as I get to the French and defend them. But in, if you do believe in that, the motivation is clearly there as well. He will fall out of the top 110, most likely with a loss. And like I said, the backhand, it's been getting better. He showed some signs of life against Mateo Arnaldi. I watched that match. I was covering it for tennis form. I was on Arnaldi, and it was really annoying because Diego just wouldn't freaking die man i was like oh my god you're down six one or six two the kid is ripping forehands off right and center just go away he won the second set there he showed that fight to claw back against bernabe and to me again i think bernabe is just a much much better version of nuno borges right he actually has he takes the forehand early he has heavy heavy spin to it it's got a bit of pace at least and he can play a little more offensive than than nuno can but he can still play that rock solid game Schwartzman very well could have won that second set tiebreak as well. So that was a five setter, but Schwartzman was just as good as Zapata in the second sets and then better in the final in the final sets or the final set. I just don't think that I think Schwartzman is starting to show some signs of life. He's more experienced. He's much better uh, at the kind of baseline game when he is playing decently. And we've seen that form turn. I'm going to be taking the over six and a half breaks because I don't think he gets this done in straight sets. I do think he breaks Borges once or twice. Uh, sorry, twice or three times a set. This is going to be a break-intensive kind of um, match. That six and a half is at plus 110. That's a lot of breaks. But again, he is a return-oriented player, and Nuno has zero weapons to really find cheap points. That is going to be like kind of a hedge to my... Not a hedge, but just an added play to my money line that I actually wrote up for the Action Network as well. I, uh, you you said that was a lot. You, sorry, you said that was a lot. I was like, that seems light. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> over I mean, if you're getting four is... sets, if it... you're getting four sets, you feel like they're both going to hit their overs there. There's a chance these guys trade breaks, like four straight breaks, right in a row. Then you're almost yeah, what... <laughs> Well, no, that, that's not six and a half. That's six and a half on Schwartzman. Oh, six Josh and a half on Josh Schwartzman. Okay, all right. It's uh, it's 11 and a half for the match. <laughs> oh, 11 and a half for the match. That makes a lot more sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, if that was six and a half, that would be like... I'm going to put amounts of money that will get me banned when this bet hits on bet three, six, five <laughs> kind of bet. No. Yeah. I mean, even still, I think that six and a half just for sportsman is, is, is decent. 11 and a half. Again, you're operating not under the assumption, but more often than not, this goes at least four sets. Right. And so if you're going to get a fourth set, you're adding a bunch of opportunities to add breaks in. And that's, that's kind of, I know that's baked into the line, trust me, but I still think that number, if, if, if this is a four to five set match, I don't think we should be setting Schwartzman at one and a half breaks per set as kind of his average here. Uh, I think you should be looking at two to two and a half breaks a set uh, as as his average against someone like Borges. So that's a nice little play. And it can hit if your money line loses. You can still hit that if it's a very break intensive match that goes five. You can still come away with profit because it's a plus 110 number. So 
I, I, I like the combination of the money line on Schwartzman and the break prop for Schwartzman. All right, so we got both sides of that one. We got you you covered. Whoever you agree with, uh, go with that side. And I, I, by the way, I don't want to say that Nuno Borges is like I said he was a be, you know better version. I mean, Diego Schwartzman at one point in time probably reached a height in this tour that Nuno Borges will never reach. But uh, I'm just saying right now, currently, as we sit, May turning into June 2023, <laughs> Diego has been piss poor for most of this calendar season. All right. We mentioned Nico Jari. He's taking on Tommy Paul. Tommy Paul stinks on clay. So he's probably a deserved plus 115 underdog walking into this match. Uh, but if whole percentage is going to tick down for this tournament overall, that strips away Nico's biggest weapon and leaves an opening for someone with the returnability of Tommy Paul, even on clay where he stinks. Uh, to, to get in there uh, and gut this thing out, you mentioned uh, the potential for a an altitude specialist already. I, I think the the price is right here to chase Tommy Paul versus Jari. Yeah, this is one I almost might take again. The the, the breaks prop. It's like plus one twenty for three and a half. I, I'm just worried about Tommy's even at a Grand Slam. The motivation, I guess he won his first round match, which is a, a little bit of a, an assistant, like reassurance, I suppose. But I still don't know about Tommy on clay, especially facing a big serve. <laughs> it's, he, I guess he just did though, right? Like Dom Stricker, kind of a lefty big serve, same kind of concept. I do think he's just better on return and a little more athletic and a little more physically fit right now than Hugo Dayen is. So he's got all the chance in the world to find breaks. Dayen had break points, I think, in at least um, three or four different Jari service games and didn't take any of them. Yeah, four different service games. He had break points. Tommy's more fit right now. Tommy's just a better player in general. I think he's better from the baseline as well. Better returner. You're slowing things down and you're getting this number depressed by a hold percentage because that's what these numbers are from the books. They're just running data from like tennis abstract and hold percentages and break percentages. And that data is inflated by Jari's play at altitude in Santiago and at altitude in Geneva, where his serve was just almost untouchable. Different story here. Like I said, one, four different games in three sets, one of which was a 6-2 set against Day Yen, and he he didn't take any, but there were four games where he had break points. So it, it's not an infallible serve. Two, it's more likely Tommy Paul actually wins a set than Day Yen was, because again, he's been terrible lately. So, if this goes four sets, you get more opportunities, more Jari service games to find those four breaks. And three, you're just getting a better returner and more talented player. So, I see no reason not to attack the break props here with, with Tommy Paul. I like that a little bit more than the money line, if I'm being honest. Same price, too. Over three and a half breaks is plus 120. Paul, money line is plus 120 at bet 365. If he's going to win the match, he's either going to have to gut out tie breaks or he's going to have to get at least three breaks, right? So for this exact same price, you may as well just take the breaks, take the breaks and not worry about whether he wins or not. All right, well, those were a few that I had jotted down here. How about we do rapid fire and, and talk through these real quick as we want to wrap it up. Um, but Echeverry is a plus-110 money line dog versus Alex Demonor. 
I know you do not like ADM on a slow court, especially probably on the surface. You have the the young hot the young gun who's coming in hot and Echeverry. What do, you, what do you think about this one real quick, John? I think the price is about right. I don't I don't think Echeverry has I think the talent you have to evaluate is the surface edge enough to overcome the talent gap. And I just I don't think it is often enough to justify betting him in the plus one ten, plus one fifteen range. I think it's well priced. I do think ADM is still the deserved favorite, unfortunately. And I get that Echeverry has a good forehand. I get that he's he's a clay quarter. But I I want to wait one more round to fade Demon Hour, and honestly, the the pro, the prospect of if it if he does lose, the prospect of like one point one five units extra isn't enticing enough to get me involved here, right? So the the price is is fine. I'll just if ADM wins, I'll just look to fade him potentially in the next round. Matteo Arnaldi is a slight money line favorite, minus one twenty. Versus Denis Shapovalov, your countryman. Uh, I love Arnaldi at this price versus Shapo. <laughs> I hate to say it, like it seems like a uh, such a good spot, just like the Nakashima spot uh, to to back Shapo. I mean, Nakashima has like done nothing on clay this clay season. He's actually barely had any matches. It was kind of weird. I think he was just the favorite because Shapo has been so bad, uh, but. Arnaldi is arguably much more in form and, and, and fitter right now than Nakashima. Uh, and, and this is a guy who's going to make Shapo play a ton of balls. Like, this is just a really bad matchup for Shapo to me. And I, I, I feel like there's not a ton of value on Shapo here. Like, I feel like yeah, you, think, you think that I feel like you think you that he, there is because he is the obviously the, the bigger name player, uh, but I feel like you might be wrong. And more and more experience in best of five. I don't think there's value on him. I can I can see the case people would make for Chapo. I don't know if I trust it, especially considering we we don't know if that knee is a hundred percent yet that kept him out of Geneva and, and uh Rome and Madrid. Did he skip all three? He skipped multiple tournaments, put it that way, with a knee problem. I don't know if it's hundred percent yet, and he just played five sets on it. If it is gonna act up, it's you know, the more wear and tear on the knee, the quicker it's going to act up. I just, I, I don't like the possibility of him having an injury issue here and me being on his money line in a best of five set match and, and him not being able to really move uh, that well. So it's an easy, it's an easy pass for me. Arnaldi, just a, a little too volatile on the forehand wink for me. Very talented kid, but I, I he's got his best of five win here. I don't, I don't know how, how much I want to be backing him in this format either. So for me, it's a pass. Definitely fair. A couple of dogs real quick, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, Talon Greekspor is plus 200 against Hubie Hercash. Uh, Hubie seems to be giving up big dog wins left and right this year. Yeah. Now Greekspor comes in maybe a little undervalued because he hasn't played a lot. Uh, he, he just won, though, uh, coming off of injury. So he seems to uh, have those the injury concerns behind him a little bit. I, I mean, Greekspor beat Fokina here last year. Uh, did lose to Nakashima then, uh, but I do feel like there's a, a a definite range of outcome that seems that that sees Greek sport come out on top, but at this big price here. Yeah, the same logic could apply to um, what I said about Chapo, but there's a difference. One, I'm getting plus two hundred, not plus one hundred. 
that is obviously a, a significant difference, right? Your break-even percentage goes from 50% down to about 33%. Huge shift in implied probabilities. Two, um, Hercatch and Griegspo are likely to play a very serve-oriented game. So I don't know how much physicality there's going to be to that one. So I think that that kind of preserves you a little more than, say, Chapo or Naldi, who could play lots of long points with running and that knee start acting up on him. So I, I think that's another kind of caveat that makes this a little bit different. Uh, and and three, he has, you know, he just clawed back against Pedro Martinez. If there was a, a serious injury problem or something that had kind of flared back up, you'd think after he lost the second set 6-2 and the third set 6-love, he would just pack it in, right, in that first round. Instead, he comes back, wins the fourth and fifth against a not in form, but resurging uh, Pedro Martinez, who had gone on massive losing streaks to start the year and then has actually been almost let's say almost respectable <laughs> in the last few weeks that he's played so uh, that that I find is a good win I also think that just with Hubie's like you said you pointed out that was in, that's this is the other one I wrote up for Action Network on the men's side that's in the write-up like it's hard not to fade Hubie when he you've got a matchup edge here because Greek sport has power and he's got a good serve and Hubie's just a bad returner in general You've got a surface edge because Greek Spore is more comfortable on clay. Whether you think he's better or not doesn't matter. He's more comfortable on clay than Hubie. And three, you have a pattern of Hubert Hurkacz losing as a big favorite, which tells you what? He is overvalued in the market. It's not he's unlucky and keeps losing, so we need to keep this number the same. It's he's not this monster favorite against some of these players that we continue to see the numbers kind of imply he is. As long as those numbers don't move, I'm going to keep fading him. The over, the plus games, even though it's only three and a half, it's not likely to end in straight sets. And QB, again, might find a 6-3 along the way to hurt you. But even three and a half games here, which I never take for me- for the men on clay, especially in best of five, that looks really good to me because it's it should be, it should be more often than not uh, a serve-oriented affair. And three and a half games is, is much more valuable there than in, like, say, Schwartzman and, and Borges. Right. When you can have blowout sets, you don't really give two hoots about having three and a half games on your side. All right. Well, I think we've set it up uh, for round two. There's lots of matches that we could still go over, but we are running out of time here. I feel like we, we covered a lot, a good swath of the matches. Uh, and uh, we'll be back so we can talk more round three matches in a couple of days. So there you go. Uh, follow uh, John. Any last words or any thoughts? Uh, parting shots, if you will. Yeah, I'm um, happy to know Medvedev is out of the, the clay court Grand Slam day. Let's go Yannick Center, baby. We talked him up on the last pod. <laughs> Let's get you into that semis, buddy. Uh, last thing, I, I'm, I hate to say it, but I think I'm going to lay eight, all, all eight games versus Altmaier. For Center. <laughs> that was my parting shot. Uh, all right. Uh, we'll be back later this week for round three. Until next time, follow John at to your uh, follow John at JR Tweets Tennis at Tibbets Tennis. Follow Derek at Forever's Nagal. Follow us at MP9 Tennis. Follow us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time, see you on the court.